You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Rogopshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in going full crypto. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. At no point in time should the topics of discussion be construed or taken as investment advice. Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and their guests on this podcast will not be held accountable for any losses. The content discussed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are intended to be for informational purposes only. Welcome to episode 22 of the GoFull Crypto podcast. This is a second episode in our series of Simple Questions Smart People Ask. Today, our guest is Jordan Matthews. He is a very dear friend of ours, has a lot of talents, one of them being a board game maker, um, and also as a business person and entrepreneur himself. And we will let him introduce himself because no better person than to uh, talk about oneself than oneself. <laughs> said self too many times in the past five minutes. But Jordan, why don't you give our audience um, an introduction to yourself? Um, I am a barber, business owner. I own a barbershop uh, in New York. Uh, I'm also a board game developer. Um, although that's been on hiatus with the pandemic a little bit. Um, and I would consider myself just a general uh, skeptic of all things. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to, for fun, question things and consider and discuss. Um, I don't think I have any particular qualifications, which I think makes me good for this particular segment. <laughs> I don't know much about Bitcoin besides the bit that has crossed me. Uh, the bit that has crossed you? <laughs> <laughs> over the last few years. Um, and I have very generic experiences, like a lot of people, you know, a friend of a friend had certain number of bitcoins and then cried when they lost all of it or whatever you know <laughs> yeah. i have those experiences um but i'm not an insider by any stretch of the imagination yeah well f so many stories that you have shared with us from your experience cutting people's hair a lot of whom are professors from ithaca yeah or the what university is that uh it's right next to cornell university and ithaca college yeah and you have snippets of information in a variety of knowledge repositories and by, by that, I mean, you just know a ton of stuff about physics and biology and chemistry. It's and true. Running the barbershop has allowed me to become like a, a somewhat random fact, like trivia brain. Like I know a lot of little <laughs> things about all kinds of stuff. Um, being in the university town and sort of catering towards a graduate student and professor audience. I mean, a lot of my customers are experts in their various fields and um i've had i've been pretty blessed over the last decade to meet all kinds of brilliant people um one of my favorite examples being um uh, when a little over like almost nine years ago now actually talking to one of these graduate students talking about um uh, machine learning before it became big and he was i was asking him what he studies and he says oh it's this thing no one's doing it yet but it's going to change the world and then, of course, you know, now machine learning uh, coders can make 
absolute millions, you know, <laughs> if they have the next big thing. Um, so yeah, learning about, you know, tech from these people and the, the physicists who work on the colliders, you know, met people who worked at CERN and astronomers and uh, also talk, people who talk about like food justice and the environment and I mean, every subject that there is. And I'm just cutting their hair and they tell me their stories. So I'm very, <laughs> very fortunate in that regard. That's fantastic to hear. Um, one thing that you said to describe yourself was that you're a skeptic. And th I think that one, one more aspect that I have learned about you over the past year is that you're also innately curious about a lot of things and you apply your per point of view and your perspective to any piece of information and knowledge that is presented to you. So that combination of curiosity and skepticism makes you a really awesome thinker. Well, and thank you. <laughs> we're, I'm very excited to have you ask us questions. I know Keegan is as well. So yeah, yeah. I'll just speak on behalf of both of us. We're very excited for you to ask us questions because we know that our answers, if they're not satisfactory to you, you will come up with um, a follow-up question <laughs> that is going to be an amazing and, and challenging, maybe at times, question. So without further ado, let's begin. Sure. So what sort of questions come to mind when you think of cryptocurrency? Well, there's one that's been formulating in my mind. I was telling you beforehand, I, I had something spinning in my mind, uh, trying not to overly prepare. Um, but I was thinking about BitConnect and the big <laughs> failure that that was. We, we actually haven't covered BitConnect yet, but for, for those of our listeners and just for a preamble to Jordan's question, it was in fact a pyramid scheme uh, built uh, as a cryptocurrency. Uh, you could buy BitConnect, and then the company would reinvest that in Bitcoin and then redistribute profits. They would promise uh, gain, like ridiculous gains, 1% per day, which is 365% which annual return, <laughs> uh, which exactly, that, that's, that's not sustainable. So sorry, but continue. That's, that's yeah. just the preamble to BitConnect. I mean, it's fun to mention as well. I mean, the BitConnect story is worth reading about, even if you're not skeptical, because it's just, it's hysterical. I mean... There's video clips of these, you know, conferences that they would hold that were supposed to be larger than life to get everybody who was on board to feel like, like they had really made the right choice. Like they were at, you know, the next Steve Jobs, you know, uh, uh, presentation. And there were these gaudy, silly things where they, they wouldn't talk about their process. They wouldn't talk about the technologies they were using. It was just this gregarious dude screaming out Bitcoin on stage. Hype. It's just all hype. <laughs> it was just all hype. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people fell for it. Um, and so that, that leads into my question, the idea of falling for it. Um, Bitcoin, crypto, not Bitcoin, crypto as, as a whole is um, a ripe playing field for scammers. And that much is we know to be true because of the, the volume of scams that have risen up in the last few years. There were definitely more in the earlier stages, like I want to say 2013 to 2016 was like a shocking number of these scams. And um, even today, I'm sure there's plenty too. It, it's just, we don't know which ones are scams yet. Right. Some of them we probably can't identify, but I won't say anything. Oh, we've actually <laughs> done two episodes on scams and how to detect them and avoid them. And, that's good. Yeah, it's one of the proponents that like we really feel passionately about 
defusing and making sure that our audience knows how to avoid them because i've fallen into <clears throat> two at least two scams in my time in <laughs> cryptocurrency so it's it's like not even that easy uh difficult easy it's not that easy to avoid them sometimes especially if you're not equipped with the knowledge so that's that's the feature uh it's difficult to navigate crypto if you don't have a um a good grasp of the elements that formulate the, the the currency, right? And the currency we have that most people are used to using, whatever their nation's currency is, they don't think about it. They don't spend time considering, you know, how the economy works because of money or how, you know, their currency is backed. People don't really think about that. They just think about like, I go to work, they give me a certain volume of money, <laughs> and then I can turn that money into the things that I care about. Yeah, And that is a perfectly adequate economic understanding for moving through your life. Um, you can't live that way while transferring your money over to crypto. It's, it's very dangerous, extremely dangerous, because you can fall into these traps. And, you know, you're lucky that you didn't have enough money that it could ruin your life <laughs> when you fell true. into these scams. Yeah, where, I didn't take out a $50,000 loan to go make a bunch of mistakes with. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's people who fell for uh, one coin and Bit, uh, uh, BitConnect and one other I was thinking of the other day, um, who some of them, they took their life savings and put it into this because they heard, oh, I'm going to get a 7% pr uh, 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 promised increase. Yeah, guaranteed. Quote, unquote, guaranteed. Right. Yeah. Which you, it's, you should never trust that with a normal bank, <laughs> right? What was it? Bit Trust or something like that, maybe it was called? I, my goodness, I'm forgetting what it's called now. But there was a Bitcoin trust that was put together back in 2013 that was actually not supposed to be a scam. And it turned into a scam because they weren't prepared for the economic reality that Bitcoin was not going to just constantly keep rising in value. Um, so anyway, I'm dancing around the actual question because I'm still formulating it a little bit. But really, the no matter what currency you're using, whether that's Canadian, U.S. dollars or yen, whatever. Uh, scams are an issue, something to, to look out for. Right. Like So just to clarify, there's cryptocurrency scams, but then there's also scams that take place denominated in the US dollar and the Canadian right. dollar. So scams are scams. Scams are scams. They will exist. It's yeah. not a problem with crypto. The the edge, I think, that the, the crypto scammers have on uh, the people entering the crypto realm is the, the lack of knowledge that the people entering the crypto, like, so you're entering crypto, you want to put some money into it and you Google how to do it. And these scammers, they've got great search engine optimization so that you magnetize to those sites, you go on there, they promise you great returns. That's everything you have ever heard and want about crypto. Right. And it's just seems so enticing. Uh, whereas, you know, I think we're a little bit better primed to spot the scam with like that is denominated in US dollars, for example, because like you said, I we've wouldn't been... say that we are better primed to no? spot scams that are denominated in US dollars. A scam okay. is a scam. I mean, a scam doesn't come in a, with a warning label of, by the way, this is a scam. Don't uh, click on this button because otherwise you're going to lose your money. So scams are scams no matter what currency they are in. And to the question that I think that you're getting to is cryptocurrency is an industry that is ripe with the opportunity to scam a lot of people uh, for their money because right. of the lack of knowledge that people have. That's all I was saying anyway. Because like with cryptocurrency, you've got this whole like 
this key phenomenon, right? And I can really easily trick someone and say, listen, if I'll hold your keys for you, but little do you know that if I hold your keys, I hold your money, right? And like, that's a scam in and of itself. There's, that's an entirely valid scam. And people might be like, well, yeah, this service is kind of like, you know, hold my keys for me. This is so great that they're offering to do this. Right. But they don't know that, okay, if you actually hold the key, then I don't have control over my funds. So would you agree, though, that with the standard currencies that people are used to using, their national currency, um, the average person does a reasonable job of avoiding scams? You know, they, we, we tend to learn to avoid them and, and dodge around. Um, and the average person manages to not get, get scammed, for the most part, without having extensive knowledge of how their currency works, right? I personally agree with that. I would say that I disagree with part of that, actually, because I think that's a two-tiered question. The first one is the average person tends to avoid scams that are not in cryptocurrency. That's what you said, correct? Right. No, I have instances of friends that are my age. I'll just take one instance, for example, where um, they had a, they have a laptop, they bought a new laptop, and there was this pop-up that came up saying that you have a virus installed oh gosh, yeah. on your computer, and in order to retrieve using your laptop, you're going to have to call this number and install this particular antivirus. Right. And my friend, she, wasn't, um, she hadn't heard of this before. She wasn't really a, a tech person, I guess, to really put it simply. And... You know, actually, you don't even need to be a tech person, so I'm going to take that back. But she wasn't aware. She didn't have the know-how that you're not supposed to call the number that says that your computer is locked. Right. Um, and it might seem obvious to some other people, but to an average person, uh, she was studying psychology. It wasn't obvious to her. So she called this number. She gave them bank information because that's what they asked for. And yeah, well, we know that and now she knows, of course, and we, you know, maybe because we read more about what happens in um, the financial industry or just scams in general, we are aware. But I still think that the average individual is at a much higher risk of getting scammed, no matter what, uh, what, I guess, hook medium they have, or what exchange. medium of exchange. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the second tier, like you were mentioning, is that I don't believe that your friend would have been better able to protect themselves if they had a in and out knowledge of how their currency was backed, right? Knowledge of currency was not the issue at, at play. It was just uh, sort of how to be streetwise on the internet, I suppose. Rather than backed, I would say yeah. like built and like, does it actually make sense for me to give my banking information to this person on the phone after I saw this pop up? Like, I think it's a stepwise kind of function, right? So first step, give me a call and like you get a friendly person on the other line right? I'm going to solve all your problems. That pop-up, I know exactly how to solve it. Those numbers on the screen, just read them out to me one by one, right? It's not, it's not like it all happens at once. It's, uh, and then, you know, the person's engaged in, in that phone call and they're, you know, enticed to, to give that, that information. In. Yeah. It's not that surprising. With the whole back, I think, I don't think that everyday people know what their government currency is backed by. Correct. That That's my point mm. is okay. that, the, the overwhelming majority of people have little to no knowledge of how their currency functions as a uh, like a theoretical concept. Right. They don't they haven't studied it. They don't understand. I mean, they don't really know what fiat currency means. Right. Like if these are things we sort of hear in the news and people sort of get the gist from their favorite pundit, but they don't really spend the time to learn about currency. And there's a good reason because it's boring. 
Really, really boring. Well, speak for yourself. And <laughs> it's boring for the average person. And it also, uh, it seems to have little to no bearing on your your regular life as you move around with your money. True. Right? Knowledge, it doesn't matter what you're pulling out of your wallet. You know, if it's Bitcoin or if it's yen or if it's dollars, you don't care. Because the point is you're trying to transact. And... The scam, they could have been asking for Bitcoin and she would have been like, well, I want my computer back. So sure. Right. So I guess the thing I'm trying to get at is that although Bitcoin, uh, although crypto, I keep saying Bitcoin, clearly I have a bias. <laughs> I just want, I just think Bitcoin's better. Um, but crypto, although I, th- I would love it if more people were uh, uh, currency literate, um, it's a goal. It's like a, a, a place to want to be, but we can't wait until everyone arrives at that literacy in order to uh, uh, take up cryptocurrency as a, sort of a, a method of transacting in the future. If we do wait until we all have good literacy in it, it will be uh, too late. And the only people who have access to it are the same people who have access to money right now. The people who are in charge, the large heads. And I, I agree with that. So I, I think that's actually, you've identified in a systemic risk with Bitcoin. Like one of our episodes was uh, what what would make Bitcoin fail? Yeah. And I would also consider it a failure if like only a small subset of wealth literate and tech literate people engage in Bitcoin, blow up the price, become even more wealthy and then the wealthy people can also pay tech literate people to get into crypto. Right. So, so yeah, that's actually a real risk and it's an actual possibility that we're facing as well. Maybe it's just a small subset of the population that ever gets into crypto. So I, now that I've managed to ask the most long-winded indirect <laughs> question, uh, I want to sort of say, for, I am somebody who is deeply skeptical of hierarchies of any kind. And whether they're implicit or explicit. Um, so to someone like me, who like, I have my own reasons for believing in uh, cryptocurrency as sort of this uh, decentralized system that does not have a hierarchy, that can sort of, uh, it can balance out the playing field for a lot of people. It can up, For me, it seems it could actually uplift the working class. And... For someone like me, who is very skeptical uh, of people who are currently in positions of power, what what words of encouragement would you offer, or uh, you know what what am I missing, you know that that could really stop these people from just becoming the ones with all the wealth, all of the the currency, and just perpetuating the system that I already think we have? Because I don't want to just trade <laughs> the currency we have for say Bitcoin. And just have Bitcoin become the new currency and everything stays exactly the same. Because then it's just a new name with some cool high-tech stuff. True. I agree with that. Do you want to go first there, Margaret? Yeah, for sure. So, fantastic question for one. In the world of cryptocurrency, there are different kind of currencies that represent a different kind of value. So Bitcoin, let's say it's power to the people, it's people's currency. 
And just for a second, I want to bring to your attention the different kinds of cryptocurrencies so, that exist. So, for example, in the just the last episode, we covered three different kinds of coins. There's Bitcoin, which is for the people. There's a business coin where Libra is, I guess, the most popular example. But there are so many others. Um, and again, they can also be broken down into exchange coins or tokens that represent a share of, of a, a share in a particular cryptocurrency project. Um, and then there is... Um, CBDCs, which are not really cryptocurrencies. Central bank digital currencies. Yeah, central bank digital currencies, which are not really cryptocurrencies per se, because... It's more like a digital dollar. Yeah, if we were to say one of the things that crypto has brought forth is decentralization. So a central bank digital currency does not mean it's decentralized <laughs> right. or the power is distributed among the among many people, except uh, instead of just one institution. So with respect to cryptocurrency... Um, to reiterate your question, you asked, what assurance can we give you that you're not opting out of the current hierarchical system um, and just into another hierarchical system? Thanks. Yes, that putting it much more succinctly than I did. Yes, <laughs> that's better. I, yeah. I think almost every system has some centralized aspects and some decentralized so aspects. So some sort of hierarchy. Some sort of hierarchy. It's just like we can take this question and we can talk about hierarchies in bitcoin in a number of different ways because they exist right. is, is it that the hierarchies that exist in bitcoin are they any more fair to the average individual to the end user than the hierarchy they just came from that's another way of stating your question if, if you will do you i would say so yeah yeah and well i would love to d dive deeper into the um this hierarch hierarchical system that currently exists because it might be different um it still exists a hierarchy of some sort still exists and i would beg to differ that the power is more distributed and the ability to take that power is more open uh, to the people the working class really anyone who wants to start something in this than it is in the current hierarchical system for traditional currencies. So I, I think I, I want to po poke exactly like one stark difference between the system that we come from, which is a fiat currency, government-backed currency, and a Bitcoin system. And, and the, you were talking about power, Murga. And the power, uh, I think that you were specifically talking about, was uh, the, the, who controls the network, who actually controls the money, and who controls the money supply, who has the ability to alter the course and the direction of that money supply. And when we talk about that, that is a hierarchy that for all intents and purposes does not exist within Bitcoin. Everyone comes to that table in a more or less flat um, distribution. That's a properly decentralized uh, power structure. Whereas with a central bank digital currency or the fiat denominated currency, we've got the central bank at the very top. Right, they have all of the power. They get to make all of the decisions, and so that we—I mean—that's just a fact. If with a fiat-denominated system, you've got that at the top. With a Bitcoin-backed system, you don't have that at the top. Right. The, and the other thing I want to poke just before we move on is that I'll point out a hierarchy that does most certainly exist, and this goes back to your question about about wealth and wealth distribution. Uh, there are people with Bitcoin addresses with more Bitcoin in them than other people. Right. So like we might have one Bitcoin, uh, like me, Keegan, for example. And then out there, there's Bitcoin addresses with tens of thousands of them in there. Right. And that's a wealth disparity and that's a hierarchy of sorts. And 
if we perpetuate that into the future, does that put us in any better situation than 1% of the population hoarding 99% of the wealth? I think I think yes. I, I don't. I also don't think that we have the data to really concretely say yes. But I think we propagate this into the future, and that's the we're going to end up in a situation where one percent doesn't have ninety nine percent. I do have one critique for our own answer, actually, sure. Keegan, because with respect to the power given to the people who are responsible for uh, maintaining this network, so that is called the process of mining anybody who runs the Bitcoin code base and is responsible for um, just maintaining the network to keep it really simple. I won't be able to do that today unless I had competing computer power right. to to compete with um, farms of Bitcoin miners. Yeah, warehouses. And, yeah, yeah, and in in to really put it in a hierarchical system, I would say that the people who have access to enough capital to have those farms be something that they they can um put or produce in the first place they have more power yeah and and then one thing to say against that is okay what if they decide tomorrow that they wanted to give up that power anybody else still has the ability to take join that the place yeah. or, or join the system in some way they don't have the power to um destroy the system in any way or they don't have to dismantle, I should say, actually not destroy. They don't have the ability or the power to manipulate it to their own will. And steer the course, I would say. Yeah. Like steer the course of the currency, which is kind of the power that that I was talking about when, when making that point. And yeah, that's, that's, that's all. So one thing that I would like to get some more clarity on is with hierarchical systems that it currently exist in our current traditional um, monetary policy. What change would you like to see? That is a great question. <laughs> <laughs> because I, it's easier to identify first what things bother me right now in the system I currently live in, which is that so most people are alienated from how money is made from how their money carries value they're also alienated from their own value they don't really they don't have a connection to to their own labor to their own money and so we can talk about uh, uh so these sort of like um intellectual concepts about how currencies function and why they function and how they can benefit certain groups over others. But no one cares on the lower <laughs> end, right? Yeah. Like the only thing they're asking for is when they do labor, they receive funds, whatever they are made out of, and then they can turn those funds into their rent and their food and like toys for their kids. And like, they have no ambitions outside of that. And yeah. that is good yeah. and fine. True. So that's their life. They want that. And that's what the majority of people are doing. They're trying to get by. And increasingly, money has been manipulated to, to be sort of bottlenecked, but upwards. And people have less, you know, they have to do, do more with less. And... It's not really solely a problem of currency, right? I mean, it's there's only so much you can do, right? Like, there's also issues with laws. There's issue with 
you know, the, the types of hoarding that is just totally allowed, the sorts of entrepreneurs that we venerate, even though they actually are just thieving, they're stealing from people, as, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't know if there's just a shift to a different currency would eliminate such a problem, right? Um, I might be a little bit overly interested in a, a grander change than, than simply a currency. No, I'm, I think we're also interested in a grander change. <laughs> the, 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 I, I resonate with one particular quote, and it's uh, fix the money, fix the world. It's a little bit too simplistic, though, because sure. it doesn't exactly work like that. You can't just be like, oh, OK, let's adopt Bitcoin and the world's fixed. It's like, no, we actually still need governments to get on board with this and like back their currency with it and agree to some rules about it so that they are not um, you know, for back lack of a better way to put it, like screwing over the average individual and yeah. making sure because like, you're what you're talking about is extremely relevant for the average individual. It's like, am I going to be able to pay for my food tomorrow? Right. A lot of people don't ask themselves that question, but that's kind of the root of the issue of what Rugashi and I like to talk about a lot of the time is like, is my value is the value of my money going to be there tomorrow? And people aren't asking themselves that question yet. It is a relevant question to be asked, right? And, and people are also asking themselves extremely mundane questions, like, physically, how am I paying for this? Mm -hmm. Like, let's say someone just, they didn't do any research, they just looked at your faces and thought, these are the two most trustworthy people on the planet, and they just took all their money and put it in Bitcoin, right? And they don't have that much money. They don't know anything about the internet. They actually don't even have a laptop yet. And then they go down to the store to buy food, right? And they're like, I'm going to pay with Bitcoin. <laughs> and the person's like, you can, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not how this works. Right. And uh, so they'll, of course, be frustrated because it turns out there were these more esoteric reasons why what they did was a great idea, but it has nothing to do with their grounded, regular, factual yeah, life. Totally. Um, sorry, just to, to backtrack for a second. Um, you, you ask me what I want changed, right? And without putting the, the pressure on crypto to do it, um, what frustrates me is that uh, you mentioned to me several months back, you turned to me after reading the news and you said like, how do you like that your government just printed out a trillion dollars? How does that feel? <laughs> I don't want that to happen. I, I, I know there are catastrophic economic impacts from not being able to do so, but it doesn't feel like the responsible, healthy economic choice to have literally just a couple of people in a room decide, eh, let's just print out a trillion bucks. <laughs> I like that at the very least with Bitcoin, not all crypto, but with Bitcoin, there's a limit. You can't print more Bitcoin. It's done. There's this much. How much is it again? 21 million. 21 million. Thank you. So like, that's it. It's, it's, it's digital gold. And I appreciate that um, because I don't like the idea of printing out a trillion dollars, devaluing the dollar, but then giving that trillion dollars to enormous businesses that already are funneling the capital in the first place and tank the economy in the first place. Right. So when you're saying that, I'm just thinking, how do you allocate a trillion dollars? Who gets to sit down and be like, oh, yeah, 200 billion there, uh, 50 billion over there. And well, you start by being a large automotive company and then <laughs> you are promised like, what, 20 percent of that. I mean, it's it's monstrous. It like, is monstrous. The 
I mean, it's such a catchphrase at this point, but the whole too big to fail concept. I mean, it's just if you are large and irresponsible, you will receive money. <laughs> like that's how it functions. I mean, in all of these huge companies that we're so proud of in this modern age, at some point should have tanked. Like these these enormous companies that the the too big to fail ones, these banks, these law offices, these the banks actually is the one that I'm most frustrated about the the 2008 crash like i kind of think the best course of action for that was to kind of let them crash and deal with the fallout remember when all those like hundreds of bankers went to jail after that (laughs) no i don't remember remind me when did that happen exactly (laughs) never (laughs) like there's no accountability at all yeah okay cool but there is for us there is for me like if i overdraft my account by five bucks because i forgot and when i put my card in to buy coffee like, yeah. I will get a fee and I'll get a slap on the wrist. And if I do it a second time, like they might try to shut down my card. Yeah. But if I steal, <laughs> if I skim several million off the top of someone else's account. Oh, use the B word. It's, it's billion. <laughs> it's not even it's not even a million out there. It's, the... it's just the, the there's an economy of scale when it comes to uh, it's actually an inverse economy of scale when it comes to <laughs> the law. The bigger and more economically like significant your law breaking was the the less time you're going to do do for it you have like a dime bag of weed you're going to go to prison for years yeah mandatory sentencing (laughs) you you know steal people's savings and let it bleed out into the ether and uh you get a bonus from the government so i yeah that i look to crypto as a potential solvent to those frustrations well, one thing that um, just pulling a reference from something that you said much earlier about people not knowing or not having the time to care about their money to talk specifically about Bitcoin, it is a self-sovereign currency, which means you have to take care of it. You have to have the responsibility and the know-how and the knowledge of how to be um, very careful with where you store it, how you use it. Well, not right. how you use it, but where you store it. And um, having said that, one change that we would have to see getting into crypto that we, you, Keegan and I have seen, and now you will see as well because you're a proud owner of some Bitcoin. That I am. <laughs> you're just going to have to be cognizant of where you're storing your money and what you're doing with it. Because if you're not, then you will lose it. And yeah. there's no way you can retrieve it if you were irresponsible with it in the first place. So right. Um, having said that, again, the control with cryptocurrency and then specifically Bitcoin, the control over your money is in your hands because nothing else is going to change it. That's right. because it's already pre-programmed. No one can manipulate the the supply and no one can manipulate um the cap right however you are the only person that can determine whether or not the money that you have secured in bitcoin you're the only person who can determine how long you have access to that or where that stays and so on and so forth so cryptocurrency brings forward not only a, an alternative to traditional financial institutions or the traditional way of um, transacting. It also brings forth the education that is required to make sure 
that once you do acquire cryptocurrency, you can secure it and right. you can use it longer term. I, do, I have a couple couple points to add here. Yeah. One of the words that you said, Jordan, was accountability. And I'm so glad that you said that word because that's that's a fundamental pillar upon which Bitcoin is built. It's built upon accountability. The other two pillars is immutability, meaning things can't be changed and uh, your, your transactions are irreversible. And then uh, transparency, just transparency in almost every aspect about it. Right. The one we're just going to focus on just briefly here is accountability. And that one is also super frustrating. Like going back to 2008, the thing that I thought that that entire situation lacked most was accountability. I'm actually okay with people making mistakes, even on the grandest of scales. Sure. But mistakes, you need people, the actual people at the end of the day or businesses need to be accountable for their mistakes at the end of the day. And if they're not, then that's that's a bigger problem than the problem itself. Like the lack of yeah. accountability for it's like a lie. It like, almost right? promises that it will happen again. It almost promises like it'll happen again. Because what you've both taught and expressed is that these are problems that when they arise, we will just simply strip wealth from the lowest echelons of society and prop you back up after having fallen. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Then after a pandemic like this, where everyone was hit equally, what happened, at least speaking in the U.S.? Nothing. The lower echelons got nothing. The one time where they could have actually used like a real tangible buy, like like they, they, they needed support and they got nothing. And there's no, it's, <laughs> it's, and it's not a mistake. It's how the system is structured. It's not about giving a thousand bucks to some poor people so they can buy groceries. That's, that's not where the money is. They want to just put it in enormous, you know, uh, uh, building firms and accountants and So talking bankers. about salvation, uh, like earlier you asked, like, is there any hope? Uh, yeah. Like, uh, and, and there is. Like, let me just put forth a hypothetical scenario. Like, the way, one of the ways that banks make money is by charging fees on transactions. Right. Uh, they charge you money when you don't have money. So if you go into overdraft, you get charged for right. some reason. And uh, if you transfer money over borders, that goes somewhere, they tr they take a fee, right? So all of those sorts of things... Because the Pony Express is still around and needs to get, yeah, get paid. I guess so, right? All of those things are essentially minimized with the cryptocurrency-based system. And like the main point here is like far into the future, if we, we the people, uh, speaking on behalf of right. seven and a half billion people here, uh, <laughs> if we rise up and use a system like Bitcoin and opt out of uh, the systems that the financial institutions have handed us and kind of said, these are mandatory to use. Right. Uh, we can kind of think about that and like, are they actually mandatory or do we have a better alternative? And that's actually the thing that would dismantle the banks from the inside out. If we right. all decided to stop using the system, then they don't have the ability to charge us those transaction fees that pays their salaries and their bonuses. It's just, it is that simple. And I'll uh, tell you that, that that is the single feature that has attracted me the most to crypto in, like, in its entirety, mm. is the, the fact that, you know, when, when a bunch of frustrated nerds like me complain <laughs> about how the system sucks, right? We never have anything constructive to say about how to actually change it beyond, you know, like trying to get our favorite politicians to get off their asses and put in a law or something like that, do something significant. It's always this like request 
the authority to make a change to the other authority. This is one of those things where you are just changing the environment. You're changing the environment and then you're, you're sapping power from the authority from the inside out, like you said. We didn't have the ability to sap power for, for the longest Before. time. Yeah. yeah, it was taken, I remember reading that, I don't remember the exact year, but what I remember reading was, that was that once we got off of the gold standard, if anybody was using gold for money, you could be um, punished. It was punishable by law to still yeah, transact. Fine, right? Yeah, to still yeah. transact in gold because you had to submit it to the bank because right. then legal tender was using the, the dollar bill that was printed for you. Right. And... We just lived in a different age then where power to the people was not something that an anonymous group of individuals could just concoct and then release into the world. That people didn't have that ability to opt into a different system. And Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies enable people to have that option now. And well, you, you talked about an example where tomorrow if somebody sees us and buys Bitcoin because they trust us and then they want to go and transact um, what, what was it? Bananas? What did, just just buying just food? Yeah, buy food. yeah. If they go to the the grocer and like they want to pay in Bitcoin, and the the grocer's like, no, no, of course I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> right. Except in cases where the grocer is like, yes, I will take this alternative currency because I want to save in this alternative currency, the currency that I'm currently receiving um, because of the. The government that I'm living in, the country that I'm living in, is is not holding its value. It's devaluing by the day or the year right. or whatever. And I prefer Bitcoin. So yes, buy your groceries from me and pay me in Bitcoin because I will accept it. And we don't see that happen very often here. It is it is happening more and more, but we see that especially in countries where their currency has been devalued. Like right. if you look at where the demand for cryptocurrency is right now, it's in Lebanon. It's in Venezuela, it's in Zimbabwe, it's in places where like, oh, shoot, my currency doesn't buy me as many bananas as right. it did yesterday. It's not just that also, it's a, a censorship resistant currency as well. So I, I remember that when there were some protests happening in the States and also in Hong Kong, you if I so if I'm living in Canada, sometimes I cannot, if I believe in a cause, I can't really donate right. to um, a protest that is taking place in a different country for whatever the reason for that protest may be, but I can do that with Bitcoin because it's censorship resistant. No one can really say no to me to right. send money to somebody else all over the world. And it's remarkable how in this day and age, we cannot send money anywhere in the world and then gets there in a second. Right. Meanwhile, if we wanted to play Counter-Strike with each other, <laughs> which is sharing information, numbers back yep. and forth, we could do that in an instant. Yeah. I could turn on a computer and be playing inside of two minutes, right? So, like, clearly, it's not about transferring information. That's not the issue. It's that... The technology exists. Yeah, and it's powerful. It's, it's about transferring value. It scares large authorities. That is what the problem is. Yeah. It's, it's regulated because it's scary. They don't want you to be able to, you know, give money to a potentially, you know... Uh, anti-American or anti-Canadian or anti-whoever. Anti-left, anti-right, whatever. Right, right. Whatever the group is, it's like they just don't want you to be able to support them out there. Yes. Just, just stay out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's our business. Like, I think kind of, I feel like a world citizen 
You should. Right. We're getting there. Yeah. You know? And so I, I kind of do feel like what happens in America is a little bit my business because I, I feel like there's a lot of people that feel the same way. It's like, oh, holy smokes. What happens in that country affects me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. So, okay. I have a, a s- slightly divergent question. Excellent. That's more of a... Um, we beat the last one to death. So. Like a, this is like an act. Uh, I'm going to do a, like a... This, this is a situation. Okay. Okay. Imagine we have Earl. Okay. Earl is living in Maine in the U.S., in the backwoods, right? He's, he inherited an old cabin from his family. He's been living there for 50 years. He has an old truck, his dog, and he spends most of his days, like, checking his, like, duck traps and stuff, shooting, you know, game. And uh, he provides for himself for the most part, but he lives close enough to town that he, you know, he gets groceries like a normal person. And he, he just, he has, like, kind of a, a life where he... He does a lot for himself, but he's still participating in the normal economy. He goes to Walmart, has a TV, he watches the news. And then he watches this podcast, <laughs> right? And Hello, he, Earl. Yeah, hi, Earl. Yeah. And he's being told, hey, Earl, how you doing? And he's, he's told, you should, you know, understand this is the most important thing to happen to money. You need to go full crypto. You should do it. Earl's sitting there. He's got a safe. He's got, he always keeps a thousand bucks in the safe. Just, you know, who knows what happens. He's got modest savings in the bank, in the local bank there. And, uh, but the local bank was actually torn down years ago because it was bought by Bank of America. So now there's Bank of America in his tiny town. And uh, so he's looking at this like, why? Like, what am I, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. And he's not skeptical in a cruel way. He simply doesn't understand how it fits in. He how? understands that it... He, let's actually say Earl is a little bit uh, on the up and up for his uh, demographic. What does that mean? He, he's, uh, he's aware. He, he knows the information. He how underst- old is Earl again? We'll say he's in his early 60s. Okay. Okay. Living alone. Well, he's in his dog. Um, and he, uh, he knows enough. He understands how crypto functions. He gets that. It's not perplexing to him. He understands this, uh, the how mining works. It's not also not a surprise to him. It's just he just visualizes it as digital currency. But he knows he can't go to the gas station and get gas with Bitcoin. He knows he can't go to the grocery store. Also, you know, he, he just he can't think of the applications for himself where he would use it. And he's not an investor. He doesn't trust the stock market. Not since 2008. And not since the 90s and not since the 80s. All these times where he lost most of his money in the stock market because he thought he believed. So how do you get Earl to hop on board? He's not against it, but he just doesn't know what it's for. What does Earl do to earn money? Uh, Probably sells some of that game that he shoots, I would say. Okay. And I like Earl right now, guys. <laughs> it sounds like a cool guy. Earl's got a great persona going on. <laughs> and where does Earl save his money? You, you just said that Bank in the America. savings account? Uh, this isn't sponsored. I just <laughs> came up with, with a bank. Yeah, and he's got some cash stored in a safe. So yeah. he understands like the importance of safekeeping of funds yeah. for a rainy day. He's got like $1,000 mad money 
and he's got like we'll say like thirty thousand in the bank. I think that there's some like a variation of this persona, Earl. Uh, like we co- we actually honed in on a pretty specific kind of person here. <laughs> but I'm imagining like I kind of thought that you were going to say something along the lines of uh, like Earl doesn't he's not tech savvy, and he doesn't have an interest in money, and he doesn't right. care about crypto, and he doesn't understand mining and all. No, of those I want to make it hard on you because oh, you you I mean either version of Earl. Is pretty. That's a pretty d- tough question uh, to answer. Um, do Do you have something on the tip of your tongue, Ruby? Yeah, I want to understand Earl a little bit more. <laughs> okay, before before we understand Earl a little bit more, I just want to say that. Uh, uh, you know, no, no. Actually, ask ask your question. Okay. So, <laughs> what are Earl's plans for retirement? He doesn't believe in it anymore. Not since watching all his other friends with retirement have it washed away in financial crises so he doesn't he doesn't save for retirement not beyond his regular banking savings account so would you say that that's a pain that earl has experienced absolutely okay the earl is an amalgamation of like roughly 15 different real people that i know Mm. um i i have met so so many of these people who are not they're not uh, uh cynics right they're they're in the modern world, they're not trying to shut everything out, but they lost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in the, the financial crisis of 2008. They lost in the dot-com bubble. They lost it back in the 80s. They lost it. Well, they're not that old. But <laughs> through yeah. 80s, 90s, and up to now, they've lost money each time there was a meltdown because they just were unlucky enough to follow the trend that they were told to. They're not unsavvy, but they're not savvy either they're not trying to participate in banking because it doesn't interest them right they just they want to do the smart thing they want to have a retirement fund they want to be able to continue the life that they have and just not run out of money you know be able to keep feeding themselves they're modest they're not trying to start a tech empire they just want to keep shooting rabbits and ducks and stuff and hang out with their dog yeah so uh, something to consider here is understanding whether or not Earl knows that the money that is saved up in his bank account are two one devaluing because of inflation um, by the year or and and two um, that his savings he's not getting a really good return on investment on his savings right so when we talk about bitcoin being an alternative or cryptocurrency being an alternative um currency an alternative alternative money system, money system. Uh, we we talk about how you can save and retain the value of your money irrespective of its volatility right now if you zoom out you'll know uh, what the what the chart says the chart the numbers always speak the truth so what are earl's goals if earl is does not trust the stock market earl some, somehow trusts the banks and wants to continue to trust the bank i would like to just point out Almost no one in his position would trust the banks. It's just you can't live without it anymore. Right. You you don't get to use a card. And if you don't use a card, then you can't make online transactions. You can't do, I mean, you can't apply for your license anymore without doing it online. So the there needs to there so there are applications out there where you can have your money saved in some sort of cryptocurrency, let's say Bitcoin for this mm-hmm. example. And when you swipe your card at from this particular application, when you swipe your card, you can actually have the the 
end person get money in the government currency that they want or require mm -hmm. um, but you're actually t getting money out of your bitcoin from your bitcoin account you're spending your bitcoin and the merchants receiving us dollars for example yeah thank you for right. summarizing that for me so it for someone in earl earl's position earl right yeah yes okay for someone in earl's position where there isn't much ambition to retain money for retirements because that's what it sounds like earl is he doesn't really he's not thinking ahead of saving money for his retirement and he is shooting game he all of his needs are currently met does right. he need to opt out of the system if he doesn't need to save he doesn't need to retain the value of his money in a couple of years time and he doesn't um need to um, be concerned about getting more of a return on the money that is currently saved in the bank. Yeah, is there even a point to opting out and opting into Bitcoin or or cryptocurrency in general? And then the I guess like the third thing that I'm just thinking of is what country does Earl live in? I guess America, since he's yeah. the Bank of America. I'm thinking of him as, as living in Maine because that's, right, that's where Maine. a couple of these people I know live. Yeah, and so what if there is a chance that America goes through hyperinflation? Right. It yeah. kind of sort of it's not hyperinflation right now, but that just means that the buying power that Earl has with his money is going to decline before his eyes and he won't be able to do anything with it. Right. So does Earl foresee that as a possibility for the country that he lives in? And if that is the case, then you need to find some sort of hard asset to preserve the value that you are currently saving in cash. And that can either be gold, that can be the cottage that he has, that can be, say, right. the game that he can sell because that still is value. Right. Um, and it is transactable in dire times and dire needs. Or he can buy Bitcoin. Right. Yeah, Bitcoin's kind of where that like weird abstract hard hard value. Like I'm really glad that you lumped uh, like the food that Earl hunts and the land that Earl owns and the house that Earl lives in as a hard asset because that's sometimes left out of the crypto conversation is like put all your money in crypto it's like well you know maybe have a strategy of diversification and uh, buy yourself a home as well uh, yeah i think earl is a really interesting kind of uh, <laughs> kind of character in this scenario and and I, yeah I, go ahead yeah well you said that what if we say go full crypto well we should really clarify the definition of go full crypto in this case <laughs> because we also don't have all of our money in Bitcoin. <coughs> Yet. <laughs> we have a majority of our cash reserves for the business in Bitcoin, and we have a lot of our investments in cryptocurrencies. And that's because we truly believe um, the success of this particular investment for one and for two, it's just better. Right. To, it's, it, we have more control over it, and that's what we want. We, we, like previously, we had uh, some cash, uh, an uncomfortable amount of cash. And given the geopolitical economic situation that we're in right now, we're like, mm, this is it's too risky for us to have this much cash. And so we need to have more of our assets in investments in investments or a hard asset. So yeah. go full crypto doesn't mean take all of your money and put it in Bitcoin. Go full crypto doesn't mean sell all of your hard assets and convert them into this asset called Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. The definition of GoFull Crypto is different for each person. There's no hard and fast rule that GoFull Crypto means converting everything you own into this 
volatile asset known as Bitcoin or other sorts of cryptocurrency investments. Right. Yeah. And like to me, it means discovering your own crypto strategy. Yeah. Going for crypto means that you have become comfortable with um, knowing that you don't have control over the investments that you think you have control over with in traditional financial systems. And go for crypto for these people is knowing that, okay, I'm going to start on this path down the crypto lane and I'm doing this by choice because I can, because yeah. this because this choice is going to enable me to have control over my investments and my finances. And no one can come to me and say that, hey, actually, this thing that you have is not worth what you thought it was going to be now because we have decided to manipulate its supply right. because it served us well. So I, I kind of want to see if I can directly answer what, like the question of what should Earl do? Uh, like if, if, uh, if we were helping Earl discover his crypto strategy, like what would we recommend? And we would discover, okay, Earl's got a thousand dollars and is safe. That's actually perfect. Uh, let's, Hey Earl, let's take that thousand dollars. Let's turn that into Bitcoin. Like you have no intention of spending that thousand dollars. Right. You clearly. Cause it's in the safe. Exactly. And that money is, losing its buying power on a day-to-day, year-to-year basis. And it's perfectly reasonable. In fact, a great strategy to turn that into something that holds its value. If you don't plan on touching it anyway, right. it's there when you need it. And, you know, put it in your safe. Write these 12 words down and call it a day. You've got $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. Who knows how much it'll be in the future? We right. can guarantee that it's not going to have that much buying power if you keep it in U.S. dollars. So, like, that's a kind right. of... And Earl would then just go throughout his day, go into the grocery store, spend from his Bank of America bank account, right? right? Use the U.S. dollars like they're like they're good for, like for spending, of course, and and buying groceries. And if there's right ever now. right now, and if there's ever a day where you know hyperinflation takes place or mi- microinflation even right. on a year-to-year basis, it might be twenty years down the road. And he looks at that Bitcoin. It's like, oh, this is actually really useful now. I can I can actually retire on this. That. That's kind of the process that we discover with Earl. Right. Yeah. So I I think that would be, from what I know of Earl, <laughs> I think that would be pretty convincing. Because, uh, again, he's, he's just somebody who he believes in investing, but he's just been burned every time he's tried. Right. right. So, so in that instance, we need to detach uh, like a Bitcoin investment from a, an investment in the stock market. A speculative I mean, investment. It's a different thing. Well, yeah, we kind of got to detach the belief that investing in Bitcoin has some entity that's profiting right. in, in some way, shape, or form. When you invest with the bank, it, the bank's charging fees, and like you, you just kind of, I, at least when I well, did the I mean, bank, the bank like, is I feel literally, you know, funneling money to other businesses, hoping that those businesses succeed. Right? I don't really know where my money is when right. I go and invest it in the stock market. But I know exactly where my Bitcoin is. And like that gives me such a like a nice peace of mind. I would say that there are some people who know where their money is when they invest in the stock market because they invest in the stock of a particular company. And in the same way in the cryptocurrency industry, there are business coins or tokens that represent the share of a particular project or company Mm -hmm. that is that that doesn't necessarily have to do anything with currency, but they just have um, digitized that share so that more people can contribute to it. There's still a layer of obfuscation, though, when you're like uh, 
investing in the stock market because yes, you got a stock in that particular company. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know anything about how the company functions and you think that you have some kind of power to, you know, you can look at their uh, public records each year, you know, when they do their uh, balance statements. And, yeah. But even then, that doesn't really tell you much about the, the ethics of how they're operating and all that. I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of people who were delighted to see what Bernie Madoff was doing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they, and they were happy to have funneled all their money to him, only to then discover that it was completely lies. There's no way to know that the person who's on the other end receiving and using and spending the money that you give, uh, there's no way to really under, to, to, to know that they're doing something right with it. You just know that, yeah, I like this company. Yeah. Or you do what a lot of people do once they have a, a volume of money and they're not on Robin Hood, just like micro stocks, right? Like you give it to a manager, to a wealth manager who says, well, what's, what's your ethical limit? And then you tell them roughly what things you don't want to support. And they go, all right, cool. Um, I'll get to it. And then you never know. You don't know if they put them in. You could figure it out, but you probably won't because the average person doesn't care. I mean, they they care enough that they don't want to hear that they were investing in, you know, baby knife company, you know, whatever, violent. I don't know. They want to do some horribly ethically wrong thing. Fracking. <laughs> yeah, some <laughs> fracking group. Yeah. Actually, when I – so I – before I moved to Canada, completely dissolved my IRA because... What's your IRA? Uh, individual retirement account. Right. Um, and I had a wealth manager who handled it for me because I didn't be, I didn't want to deal with that. It couldn't be asked. And um, But I did give them sort of my own insight about what things I did not want to be uh, investing in. And I was like, by the way, oil and gas, out of the picture. I, you know, like my mother spent... A decade of my life fighting against these companies like i'm not going to turn around and then like get their cheap stocks while they have been beaten down um and so yeah no no fracking in particular um i mentioned to him and uh i i think i checked twice to see like what new stocks we had moved into and uh it was mostly like medical groups and stuff like that but anyway i dissolved the whole account before i came here because i'm moving to canada and it turns out it's illegal to have a uh, uh, U.S. Um, account, uh, IRA, like IRA in the U.S. while living in Canada. Really? Yeah. It's a... Uh, that seems weird. Turns out, as far as I understand, there's a way that you can... It's basically it's money laundering. Like, you can, you can funnel... I can't bring <laughs> Canadian money into my American right. uh, IRA. Yeah. Wow, what a sin that would be. Yeah. <laughs> it would be awful and i would go to prison most likely right oh. wait i can't tell between the sarcasm i'm being like deeply sarcastic either here. you are portraying right now i i am sarcastic about it but it is true that i could get in severe penal uh uh, uh i could get in trouble yeah. in trouble um well someone else who does it but at 500 times scale just go to just go to reinforcing the, the point. Yes, I, I I want to like. None of us should be over this yet, right? Like it's the single worst financial disaster to hit the planet, and we're all. Oh, two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah, we're all kind of like joking about it. We're not joking about it. <laughs> well, I, many of us to get by instead of being super depressed about it, like joke about it. But it is, it was catastrophic and awful, and there have not been enough. Uh, 
well, repercussions. What, what if? Yeah, we're we're not over. What if 2008 is not the not the punchline, but the joke or the setup? You know what I mean? And Bitcoin's the punchline slash crypto. Like I, nice. I kind of think that we're still inside this transition of uh, like. I hate to say it, but the pain is not over. It's not over by a long shot. No, it's and not. <laughs> that saddens me to the core. That That's like deeply unsatisfying to me. But it's also like very invigorating that we're in this right now. And we're like right. experiencing. It's it can be changed now. Yeah. And we actually have a tool to change it now. Before we were, we were toolless. And I like, now we have alternatives. Now we have alternatives. But like I can't help but feeling hopeless. I, sorry, I couldn't help but feeling hopeless before I discovered what exactly cryptocurrency offers as an alternative to the system that we're, we're talking about. Right. Yeah. So I've asked these two questions, right? Earl and... And they've got... The they've, they've really uh, shortened in scope. And I'm going to continue that trend. I have a more direct question. All right. Okay. Would you say that cryptocurrency in general, and we'll say Bitcoin specifically function better the more users there are the more people there are in the system what do you mean by function better um um like the the system of transacting and the the health of the overall economy of the currency will be bet will be uh more robust i suppose if there are more people involved in it uh the most direct answer we can give you is yes because that's how money works in general. Right. So just a fundamental thing about money is the more people that decide to agree to this mass delusion that this weird piece of paper has the value of the number printed on it, that that is a mass delusion, right? Whether it's the US dollar or whether it's my digits of Bitcoin on a screen, they're not inherently valuable at all. Right. So yes, the more people that buy into this mass delusion, the more value, the more utility, the more, the stronger the economy is going to be. And the trend, the macro trend that we see taking place right now is people from all over the planet are exiting voluntarily their government alternatives, their government provided currencies and into a central uh, currency, which would be Bitcoin, ironically, um, right. <laughs> using the word central in that explanation. Um, <laughs> cryptocurrency in general, they're funneling into Bitcoin specifically, they're funneling right. into. And that, that, so yes. The reason I say that is because almost all of the near criticisms that I have leveled over the course of this have been about sort of everyday transactive issues, right? Like how, how does the common person relate their experience in life? buying groceries, whatever, with uh, with crypto. If, snap your fingers, everyone's adopted cryptocurrency, everybody's operating using it, then there wouldn't be the question of, can I spend it at the grocery store? Because it'd be clearly, yes, it's the, it's the one currency, it's the one that everyone trades in. Right. So there would be facilities, there would be the technology within each place, you know, a card reader, a Bitcoin card reader, right? It, these things would exist. They're, Maybe they'd even make Bitcoin hard currency, which would be hysterical. That would be. Um, for the people like me who like cash. Um, <laughs> but my, my point being that like, it's very easy to see that this is the sort of thing that works better the more people get involved. Yeah. Because that's how, as you said, all currencies function. Uh, it's just everybody's agreed collectively, this is going to hold value for now. This is congealed labor plus time as best as we can come up with it. 
And um, so it's really about convincing more and more people to get involved. Like that's, that's what I see as the ultimate barrier <laughs> barrier is getting more people involved. It, although I want more people to be literate in their currency, in the economy, that's unfortunately not the hurdle that's in front of us. That's a, uh, a real pitfall if people are not tech or sorry, not currency literate. But the real issue I see from my perspective is that there need to be more people involved first in order for it to have the value to people say, you know, like Earl's neighbor, right? <laughs> like Jed, Jed has never trusted Earl's banking because every time Earl talks about going out and investing his money, every like 10 years or so, it all gets wiped away because a bunch of rich people in California ruined it for everybody. So, and New York. And so Jed has just, he's the same age as Earl, but he spends his money when he gets it. He gets his paycheck and he spends it. He's, he's not living high, but he's also, you know, he's doing okay. He's got his trailer. He's got his stuff. He's got his beer in the cooler all the time. He's fine. He's, he's happy with his life, but savings, he has a thousand dollars in the bank and that's it. He mostly lives paycheck to paycheck. So he has there's no investing to be done. He can't save up enough money to invest. And he's the kind of guy who regularly gets himself injured and he's got to go pay out of pocket because he's never bothered with that health insurance garbage. So someone like him also has to participate. But how does he get convinced at the get-go? I think the only way to convince him is when it's just commonplace. When you say, look, buddy, it's not any different. Here's your Bitcoin card. Now you can go to the gas station and get gas with it. And you'd be like, all right, whatever, fine. These are the people who, even though they don't seem like they're vital, they're the people who are the most populous. Most people do not have enough money in their bank account to support themselves if they have an accident, right? And I, I don't mean, sorry, support themselves is the wrong word. They don't have enough money to pay for their medical bills if there's an accident. I think it was something like, uh, at least in the US, the average person has something like 500 bucks of like uh, reserve cash basically yes yeah. their savings account is so small that they can't even invest it into the stock market unless they use something like Robinhood, some you know uh, some penny stock forum that they do on their own so if that's the bulk of the population how do we convince those people for whom investing is like they tune out when they hear the word investment because it's so irrelevant yeah. To their existence as far as they're concerned and i as i'm turning the wheels in my mind all i can think is strangely they're just the people that you have to you have to set up the apparatus and just usher them into it and just say look we've set it up for you it works you can learn the wonders of why it works once you're in but like <laughs> there's no way i can convince you by saying like you know and your investment will grow by x amount in this period of time and it'll be protected from or not inflation because <laughs> someone fall by x amount someone with 400 bucks in the bank account does not care about inflation at all because it doesn't mean anything because they're going to spend that 400 within the year right and hopefully they'll replenish it but they don't know they're living such a, a seat of their pants existence and it's not by any fault of their own. It's just that's the nature of the economy well, and their place in it. Here's one of the ways that that really messes them up. Uh, they've got $400 in the bank. They spend it. Sure. What's right. their paycheck? Is their paycheck six bucks? <laughs> right? Six, right. Bu six bucks an hour. Is it $4 an hour? Because like there's, there's people like that. There's people that live on less. Right. Right. And 
okay, so if inflation happens, that $6 can no longer buy you six bananas. So like it's a, it's a, mon a time to value equation instead of a money to value equation. I think that right. resonates a little bit more with people as well. Um, so like how many hours do I have to work to get those six bananas? One. Right. Oh, inflation just happened. Like how many hours do I have to work to get those same six bananas? Four? I have to work four times as many hours to get six bananas? Like that, that actually, like when people are not money minded uh, necessarily, when they don't have that, that currency literate, like everyone relates to time. Right. I, I, I also think everyone relates to money, but maybe not in the same way. But like, it's not the same relationship. It's, it's very divorced. Time. But time, time makes sense. Time and labor are the things that make sense to everybody. Because that's, no matter what economic system you're discussing, no matter what currency, people operate on those two valuable resources. I put in labor and created a thing or I performed a service. It was exertion and I am compensated and I did it for X amount of time. That makes sense to everybody. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you say I'll pay you in gems, they're like, I have no okay. reference for that. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. can you pay me money that I know about? <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I feel like someone like Jed is both easy and hard to convince. He's hard to convince by saying your investment is protected from inflation. He just just like, I don't, I don't invest. Problem solved. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that. Um, but he's easy to convince if you say, hey, man, you've been working all day. By the way, you're not getting a normal check today. You're getting a Bitcoin check. And he goes, what the hell is this? And you say, oh, no, no, don't worry. The grocery store, bar, they all accept it. It's the same thing. You'd be like, great. No, never mind. Don't care. <laughs> if, it's, if it feels equivalent, if it feels like he can get the same number of beers for the same amount of labor and time, mm. then he'll be like, fine. That's seems, pretty interesting. That's really interesting. Seems roughly reasonable. Approach. But he's never ever, like, Earl is curious. Jed is not. You're never going to get him into a conversation where he's going to go, oh, please tell me more. He doesn't <laughs> care. He will never care. But Jed is a valuable member of the economy because totally. he's constantly spending. Hello, Jed. <laughs> we still love you. Earl and Jed. I love these two. <laughs> I'm Thanks. sure there's someone in Maine who's like, this guy is such a racist jerk <laughs> towards my own white redneck neighbors. Oh, uh, gosh. That... Um, Interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to. What words are you grasping for right well, now? Well, I'm failing at, at grasping for them. Well, that last little bit of um, what you said there, Jordan, was a great summary of your last question as well. I, I feel like we answered it, or Keegan, you had some things to say, and what you immediately picked up was the answer to uh, that your that the way that your friends would. Uh, understand it and that was really fantastic scenario that you put forward as well so thank you so much for that last <laughs> scenario related question i feel closer to understanding how jed and earl live now i hope yeah. we have an earl and jed <laughs> archetype listening to us right now i hope i hope hi and uh, welcome shoot maybe there is a jed who's like huh. yeah thanks man yeah appreciate it. thanks for looking out because <laughs> you're right i don't care <laughs> 
So to to summarize this conversation, it was it was actually more of a conversation than um, like a question answer back and forth, which right, I'm I'm really <laughs> happy that it turned out to be this way because that first question about uh, the how do I know that the hierarchical nature that I I want to opt out of doesn't exist in this alternative traditional right. no sorry not traditional alternative money as well and fantastic question we debunked that slightly there are nuances all sorts of yes and it right now we've discussed this in previous episodes where bitcoin is the best alternative but that doesn't mean it's going to remain the best alternative or the best main traditional currency if it is ever adopted as that in the future Uh, but it's it's the best alternative right now right and then we talked about um what was the second question that you asked second question was earl yeah that's second true. was oh yeah. okay cool so we actually talked about two questions which is fantastic well, and the, it really no, there was a third and one. then there was jed well earl and jed were like kind of part of the same, <laughs> question, the same conversation but you did ask a third question. i had a third question about it was just more direct are there more if more people participate is it right is it become effective? more functional if yeah. there are more people participating in this particular which system? led into jed because yes. jed is who i'm thinking of <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Jordan, if people want to find you, maybe get a haircut from you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or just find you to um, indulge you in a conversation about your experience and your opinions on this. Where can they find you? They can find me on, I guess, Facebook, right? Jordan David Matthews. <laughs> um, and my barbershop is called Center Haircutters in Ithaca, New York. Um, where they will not find you. Where they will not find me at the moment. I'm <laughs> in Canada. Um, but you can find some really wonderful barbers who I trust with my life down there. So they're great too. <laughs> do, do you trust them with your hair though? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. For a barber, it is my life, right? Um, I guess in this weird time, that's the best way to reach me. It used to just be come to the barber shop and we'll hang and talk, but I don't have that anymore. Yeah. So. Find me on Facebook, I suppose. <laughs> Jordan David Matthews. Jordan David Matthews. Matthews with one T. With one T. Yes. Correct. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, if you have opinions to share, stories that uh, you have remembered from this conversation, because there was a bit of um, talking about accountability or the lag thereof on what happened in 2008. If you have stories to share, please reach out to us, and we would love to talk about them and let everybody else know as well. Um, our audience, I say everybody else, like there's the whole world. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> and the way that you can get in touch with us is email us directly at ready at Crypto or find us from our website. And that's it for today. Thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned.